You are listening to the Dr. Lisa Radio Hour and Podcast, recorded at the studios of Maine Magazine in Portland, Maine, and broadcast on 1310 AM Portland, streaming live each week at 11 AM on WLOBradio.com. Show summaries are available at doctorlisa.org. Download and become a podcast subscriber of Dr. Lisa Belial through iTunes. See the Dr. Lisa website or Facebook page for details. Here are some highlights from this week's program. The most important is just being there. It's clearly different for everyone, but standing by and accepting and validating, I think those are some of the most important things. I think there's everyone's so individual that you find what works for you and educating yourself on what's out there, educating yourself on, you know, what kind of provider might be a good match for you is huge. And reducing fear. Fear is the switch that turns labor off. So I had a C-section, went from wanting zero intervention to having a nice little scar on my belly. But in the moment, I really felt like I had done everything I could to protect you know, what I wanted. I think I was flexible along the way. You can plan for all this stuff, and it just doesn't matter. It, it's going to be what it's going to be. The Dr. Lisa Radio Hour and Podcast is made possible with the support of the following generous sponsors. Maine Magazine, Mike LePage and Beth Franklin at Remax Heritage, Robin Hodgkin at Morgan Stanley Smith Barney, Dr. John Herzog of Orthopedic Specialists in Falmouth, Maine, Tom Shepard of Shepard Financial, Booth, UNE, the University of New England, and Akari. Hello, this is Dr. Lisa Blyle, and you are listening to the Dr. Lisa Radio Hour and Podcast, number 35, Motherhood, airing for the first time on Mother's Day. May 13th, 2012, on WLOBradio.com. Today I have in the studio with me, as every week, a fellow mother, Genevieve Morgan, the co-host for the Dr. Lisa Radio Hour and podcast, and also the wellness editor for Maine Magazine. So thank you for joining me yet again, my fellow mom. Happy Mother's Day, Lisa. I know you're a tremendous mother, so. Well, thank you, and I know that you are too. I think part of being a tremendous mother is caring a lot even when it hurts to care, and <laughs> even and when it's overwhelming. And, and yes, in fact, it is the mothering piece is really interesting because it does translate into not just caring for your children, but also caring for everything around them and everybody around you. And it's all really great. And sometimes it has its difficulties. And, you know, being a mother is interesting. I think one thing that we talk a lot about is mothering energy, that everybody, male, female, and certainly all women have this creative mothering energy that can manifest itself in many different ways. Well, I agree. And we've brought in today for guests, Dr. Ann Skelton, who's the chief of family medicine at Maine Medical Center. She happened to deliver my second baby, Abigail. So, and she was my um, program director when I was going through the family medicine department. So she knows all about mothering energy, as do Allison Gray uh, and Emily Murray, one of whom, actually both of whom are their sisters, which I think is this great thing. I used to babysit for them when they lived in Yarmouth. Um, one of them is now a labor and delivery nurse up in Lewiston. The other one is the founder of Birth Roots here in Portland. And we also have Sarah Plimpton, who is a dear friend of mine and a new mom of not too long, but long enough to have this great, movable, adorable baby that I get to see pictures of all the time. Um, 
all talking about mothering energy and mothering and what it's like to how transformative it is to go through the birthing process. Well, and interestingly, uh, one of our former guests, the author and chaplain Kate Braystrup, I was reading one of her books a couple weeks ago. And in fact, the origin of Mother's Day, it started in the Unitarian Universalist Church. And it was actually supposed to be a day of universal peace when all mankind laid down their arms so that no mother on the planet for one day would worry about her child being killed in battle. I found that so interesting. And I think you and I both wish all the mothers and mothering types out there fortitude and solace in their pursuits as as mothers, because we know from firsthand experience that it's the most important job you'll ever have. Yeah, fortitude and solace, and maybe even a little bit of joy. I was at a car the other day. I got my you know, haircut. You know, I got got myself all spiffied up and I'm like, I'm a, I'm a new mom. This is, you know, all the new good joyful stuff that you yeah, can do. Go on ahead and do something Day. great for yourself. Yes. Use that fortitude and on the one hand to keep your family going, but on the other hand, get yourself out there and experience the fun of being alive. So happy Mother's Day, everybody. Happy Mother's Day to my mom and happy Mother's Day. Thank you for listening. The Dr. Lisa Radio Hour and Podcast features a segment called Wellness Innovations, sponsored by the University of New England. In this week's Wellness Innovation, research shows that 50 years of motherhood manuals set standards too high for new moms. New research at the University of Warwick into 50 years of motherhood manuals reveals how, despite their differences, they have always issued advice as orders and set unattainably high standards for new moms and babies. Angela Davis from the Department of History at the University of Warwick carried out 160 interviews with women of all ages and from all backgrounds to explore their experiences of motherhood for her new book, Modern Motherhood, Women and Family in England, 1945 to 2000. Dr. Davis found, although the advice from experts changed over the decades, the one thing that didn't was the way it was delivered, as an order, which left many of the women interviewed by Davis feeling confused and disillusioned. For more information on this wellness innovation, visit doctorlisa.org. For more information on the University of New England, visit une.edu. This portion of the Dr. Lisa Radio Hour and Podcast has been brought to you by the University of New England, UNE, an innovative health sciences university grounded in the liberal arts. UNE is the number one educator of health professionals in Maine. Learn more about the University of New England at une.edu. In the studio with us today, we have Dr. Ann Skelton, who is the Chief of Family Medicine at the Maine Medical Center, which is now affiliated with Maine Health. And she also happens to have been my um, program director when I was going through the family medicine department. So we have that personal connection. And she delivered my middle child, Miss Abigail Marie. Um, that would be 16 years ago this past January. So I know Anne on a lot of different levels, and we were thinking about our motherhood show, and we said, who can we get to come in and talk about mothering from a more professional standpoint? And I thought it was appropriate we had you in, Anne. So thanks for coming in. Thank you. And the thing that I'm interested in most is why do you keep doing this? I mean, motherhood is its amazing, it's wonderful, delivering babies is amazing, it's wonderful. It's kind of a lot of work. You get up in the middle of the night, 
you are on call, you're on call today, you're on call now. But there's something about delivering babies that's kept you kind of coming back. Yes, I love it. Um, I think one of the most important times to be a doctor is at the most vulnerable times in people's lives. So in that, I would put death and birth. Um, Obviously, there are lots of vulnerable times in between, but it's really important to me to be with my patients as they're facing those major changes in in their lives and in their families' lives. And you've been a family doctor for how long? For 22 years. So you've had the chance now to experience both ends of that spectrum multiple times over. Yes, I have. And you're still practicing here in Portland. I am. So tell me what it, have you had the experience yet of delivering the baby of somebody that you delivered or, you know, the next generation in? The closest I've gotten is that some of the girls that I met when they were, say, six years old have had babies now. So I haven't delivered grandchildren, but I've come close. And what is it like to have followed a family that entire amount of time? That is amazing. I mean, seeing the mother of the woman who's going to have a baby come in, knowing her when she was in her 20s or 30s, and now she is coaching her daughter through birth. I mean, it's really, it's really kind of, you see the whole continuum. Very satisfying. And this, I assume, is one of the reasons you chose family medicine in the first place. It is, yes. And talk to me about the family aspect of family medicine. Why is family medicine so important in this day and age? Well, I think we learn different things about our patients by knowing their entire family. And certainly that's the case for, you know, the child whom I deliver and have known really since preconception and then take care of in their um, youth, adolescence, et cetera. Um, But I think it also pertains to families that we don't deliver. So just a little bit more understanding of the systems, the stresses, the situation that people are in when we know their entire family. And it's really a joy to have the first family member perhaps come to you as a doctor and then have that person bring a spouse and two children eventually. So sometimes it happens by birth. Sometimes it just happens because the whole family migrates toward a specific physician. But it's, um, it's a little bit different, I think, than other disciplines where we don't get that, that window. What's it like to practice, um, to, to deliver babies and practice family medicine at the medical center, which, of course, is a tertiary care hospital? It, it offers um, very high-level um, care for people all over the state of Maine. But you're doing something that is basic and yet important? Yes. What's that like? Well, when patients ask me about choices of places to deliver, what I tell them is what's really important is who is in the four walls with you? Who is in that room? And at the medical center, you know that there's a lot going outside going on outside that room that's very high tech and, you know, could handle pretty much any emergency that came up. But what's really important is your nurse the people that you bring to the delivery with you, and the physician or midwife who is doing the delivery. So that team of people within those, within your own room, I think is the most important aspect of what it's like to deliver there from a patient standpoint. So if you are a pregnant woman listening to the show right now, what types of things um, could you offer as suggestions for how to populate those four walls? (sighs) 
pretty clearly only invite to be present the people who you think will really support you, not your mother because you think you should or, you know, your mother-in-law because you think you should or a friend because she's never seen a birth before and she wants to be there. Really think about who the people are who are the most helpful to you because it's going to be tough. You do become a mother at the birth of your child, but mothering, becoming a, a healthy mother actually starts much earlier. So taking care of your patients even before they're even thinking of pregnancy is probably something that you think about. Yes, and we, you know, we think about kind of technically the preconceptual care, but the bottom line is helping all of our patients be as healthy as they can for whatever will come up in their lives is important. When you you grew up in Maine? I did. And when you were growing up, I think you got an English degree initially. Philosophy. Okay, philosophy. All right. But you didn't necessarily know that you were going to be a doctor right away. No, I didn't. So what caused you to go in this this direction? Well, I think it was really, when I went to college, I was focused on getting a liberal arts education for the sake of education. I mean, it sounds pretty, um, when you're thinking about college these days and costs and debts and so on, that may sound uh, pretty indulgent, but I, I did it that way, and I'm really glad that I did. That left me out of all of those really competitive pre-med classes. I went back and did the pre-med stuff, and what really led me there was losses in my own life and the desire to do something that I knew you know, pretty much every day you can be of service in a positive way. And do you feel like that has enabled you to deal with the losses in other people's lives more effectively as well? Yes, I I think so. You know, I think um, one of the hardest things about losses is just um, first times not knowing how you will come out on the other end. And um, having been there a few times, I, I think I can reassure people that, yes, you do get through it. And I know that it can be particularly painful, and this is, of course, a Mother's Day show, so mm. we, it's it's hard, yeah. but it can be particularly painful to go um, towards what you think is a positive outcome, a baby being yes. born, and have a loss, whether yes. it's early or late or yep. even once the baby is born. Have mm-hmm. you been in situations like that? I have. I mean, miscarriage is probably one of the most under-recognized losses in our society, there's just no way to acknowledge it. Has, you know, there's a lot of loss there, um, and then unexpected outcomes such as a baby going to the neonatal intensive care unit, etc. Those are difficult, um, and stillbirth is very, very difficult too. And how do you, as a doctor, support your patients when they're going through these losses? Probably the most important to me is just being there. You know, it's clearly different for everyone, but um, standing by and accepting and validating, I think those are some of the most important things. And along with loss, we're talking about loss, but there's always, there tends to be a gain of some sort. And in mothering, you gain a baby, but you also somewhat lose a bit of yourself. Mm-hmm. And so it's an interesting back and forth. It's a positive, well, it's it's all good. Yeah. Eventually. You experience this with your patients as they give birth. Yeah. What's that? What, what do you notice about people as they're going through this transformational mothering process? What I think I notice in terms of the transformation is really the focus of energy tends to be, you know, 
move from couple to family. And that's, you know, that's a really difficult thing, I think, for people to negotiate. We'll return to our interview after acknowledging the following generous sponsors. Robin Hodgkin, Senior Vice President and Financial Advisor at Morgan Stanley Smith Barney in Portland, Maine. For all your investment needs, call Robin Hodgkin at 207-771-0888. Investments and services are offered through Morgan Stanley Smith Barney, LLC, member SIPC. And by Booth, accounting and business management services, payroll and bookkeeping. Business is done better with Booth. Go to boothmain.com for more information. Have you seen it change over the past 22 years with women having babies later and being more involved in the workforce? Yes, and you know, men also taking much more often an active role in doing a good deal of childcare. So, you know, a, a fair minority of families where the um, father or the other partner will stay home as well, or they'll, you know, work their schedules so that both are so that hardly any childcare is needed. Do you find it's difficult for new mothers to, um, I don't know, sequester their energy to try to do things for themselves as opposed to always doing things for other people? Is this? Oh, yes. I see that quite a bit. <laughs> I think that's part of being female, too. <laughs> Could be. Mm-hmm. And so yeah. what, do, what types of things do you suggest? Well, I think just putting it out there and naming it, you know, having time for yourself. And that doesn't have to be... Um, It doesn't have to be an afternoon a week. It might be five minutes a day or whatever it is, but just, you know, holding on to some part of, you know, you without children, you without partner, I think is very important to nourishing your own energy. So maybe instead of a Mother's Day, we should have a Mother's (laughs) Minute or something every day. (laughs) I think that's a good idea. You spoke of being present and available to someone at a terrible moment and how meaningful that's become to you. Was there a a situation or a person in your life where that became clear to you, a specific instance where you understood that to be meaningful? How did that come about? I think I witnessed it, really. Um, I had a wonderful mentor in Richard Rockefeller who certainly displayed that in many ways. Um, I also think about that just standing by as really the root of obstetrics. And, you know, so it's, you're asking really about at times of loss, but I think that standing by is really important through the delivery process too. That, that vulnerability piece when people are at their most vulnerable. Yes. And, uh, the fact that you're actually doing something by just being there. You may not have to be touching, coaching, talking. But just being there is important. Well, I remember with my Abby, it was very helpful to have you there. And I remember um, you brought your knitting along. That's right. I was just actually thinking of that and laughing to myself because I have had people tell me later that they were really, really angry at me because I was sitting comfortably in the room knitting and they were going through. You know what? 
well, you, you, it's a little hard to have it both ways. If you want somebody there, then, you know, they, what are they supposed to do? Entertain themselves? I, I don't know. But yeah. I found it helpful. So I'm glad that, you know, if this doesn't work for everybody, then, you know, yeah. that's, that's okay. Well, it is a confusing process. It's a, when you're pregnant, you hear that it's this natural process. And in the old days, people used to yeah. go just give birth in the fields. And there's this sense of like, well, you should be able to do this. You know, you should just, yeah. your body should just take over. But as we know, that, that often doesn't take place and you do need intervention. So it must be interesting to be there and know when to intervene and when to step back. Yes. And I really, um, I have learned a lot from my nurse colleagues about how to judge that with patients and when to suggest and when to not suggest. They've been very, very good teachers in that way. Well, I think that, that you bring up a really good point and one that we talk about with other guests on this show, and that is that it ends up being more of a team approach. It's, it's, not, always, it's not always mom, although sometimes it's mom and baby, but oftentimes it's, it's, it is a room full of people. It is the four mm -hmm. walls that you've described. Do you think that with the advent of technology, there's been some distancing between doctor and patient? I mean, I, when I was in residency, mm -hmm. the, we all would sit, not, not me all the time, but, you know, there was a temptation to sit and watch the monitor, yes. watch the contractions from the nurse's station. And, yep. you know, when something exciting happened, then we all go in and yeah. uh, talk to me about that a little bit. That still happens. And, um, you know, I think that we're constantly vigilant about not using the technology to supplant being with the patient. Because when you can do it from outside the room, sometimes that does seem a little bit easier, but being in the room is so important. Um, there are ways that we've reduced the use of technology too. So for example, the electronic monitors used to be used fairly continuously. Now we do more off and on listening or intermittent auscultation. I was wondering about the cesarean birth, because a lot of mm -hmm. people feel disappointed when they have a cesarean yes. birth. And now the, the data goes back and forth between whether, if you've had one cesarean birth, whether you can give a vaginal birth after that. What is the newest take on that? I think that the, uh, it, it's still really an informed decision between the mother and her doctor, because there are pros and cons for each way. Um, clearly, the recovery is usually a little bit quicker and easier after a vaginal birth, but the planned cesarean has a little bit lower risk of some things that, you know, although extremely infrequent, are at times catastrophic. And can you have a vaginal birth after you've had a cesarean? Yes. Do you have any tips for patients who might be listening, pregnant women or their significant other spouses, people who are, might be helping them for communicating with their um, labor and delivery team? Mm. You know, I think being clear up front about what you want, knowing that things may change, and for most people, writing it down someplace is helpful. And I think everybody has probably seen online or used birth plans, um, which really get at the, the key elements in the things that you that might happen during the course of labor and delivery. Um, those can be really good as guides, but I think that others will talk or have talked about how you really need to be prepared to change expectations on the fly in this in this area. And does some of this communication, um, is it impacted by the the care provider that you choose? Absolutely. So, you know, one of the things that you'll be checking out as you go through um, the initial 
parts of pregnancy and those early visits are, is this person someone who's listening to you, communicating with you? Do you feel comfortable bringing up your questions? That kind of thing. Now, in most groups, you won't necessarily be delivered by the person who provides most of the prenatal care, but you should be able to get a pretty good sense for the um, openness and uh, respect that people in that group show to their patients. How many babies have you delivered? Do you know? Oh, I stopped keeping count a long time ago. (laughs) I think I probably told you, Lisa, um, that I used to, just because babies often come at times when you might have been doing other things, I used to track the numbers so that I would take my husband out to dinner for every baby that I delivered. Well, the count got, he, I, I was so far behind that I knew I would never catch up. And I, at that point, just said, okay, dinner is always on me. Um, so if we say maybe 20 a year for 22 years, then I guess that's 440. Well, that's a lot of babies. And probably there it are more. Is. Yes. There could be more. And I love seeing them around town, at sporting events. It's just, it's really kind of cool to say, hmm, I delivered that young man or woman or child. Well, and I just want to say happy Mother's Day to your mother. And I don't know if your grandmother is still here, but uh, we are very ha- lucky in the state of Maine to ha- that your mother <laughs> gave birth to you. So happy Mother's Day to your mother. Well, thank you. I'm sure she appreciates that. And my grandmother does too. Well, we appreciate your helping bring so much life into Maine, into mm. this part of Maine, and also for the work that you do at the Family Practice Department at the Maine Medical Center and continuing to focus on the importance of family and relationships um, as seated in a high-tech situation. So thank you for coming in and joining us today, Ian. Thank you. It's been a pleasure. Our bodies are often the first indicators that something isn't quite working. Are you having difficulty sleeping, anxiety, or chronic pain issues? Maybe you've had a job loss, divorce, or recent empty nest. Dr. Lisa specializes in helping people through times of change and inspiring individuals to create joyful, sustainable lives. Visit doctorlisa.org for more information on her Yarmouth, Maine medical practice and schedule your office visit or phone consult today. On today's Dr. Lisa Radio Hour and Podcast, we have a special Mother's Day show, which is just replete with mothers of various sorts, but also people who are helping mothers. These individuals in studio with us and with Genevieve Morgan, my co-host, are Allison Gray, who is a labor and delivery nurse at St. Mary's Hospital and mother of three, and Emily Murray, who's the co-founder of Our Birth Roots here in Portland and mother of one. one. And I must say I was surprised because I realized after we agreed to have you on the air that I used to babysit for you <laughs> a while ago. So it's very funny to see you here and all grown up. And you're actually a testament to the idea that we do really listen to what people who are interested in the Radio Hour and Podcast have to say, because this was your idea, Allison, to have this show about, well, we called it perinatal care, but we're really talking about um, helping women through the birth process and their experience. And it was such a great idea. We said, sure, come on up and let's, let's talk. So you're so interesting in that you are a labor and delivery nurse at St. Mary's, which is in Lewiston. Yep. 
but you have th- three very distinct birth experiences yourself. Yeah. So tell me about that. Um, I, my first daughter was born, I was pretty young. Um, and I really was always kind of drawn to the kind of more natural birth options. Um, but ended up having her at Mercy Hospital in Portland. I had a midwife who was at Women to Women at the time. She doesn't do OB stuff anymore. Um, But she was amazing, and she really kind of, she really helped kind of foster this passion for helping pregnant women. And um, so I had a really great experience at Mercy. It, It was about as wonderful as you could get, especially for a younger mom. I think sometimes there's stigmas there, and the nurses there were amazing, as they usually are, and um, I had a great experience. And then my oldest daughter's 15, mm-hmm. and then so my next daughter's seven. So they were, they were about seven years apart, um, and I chose the home birth route. Um, and it had always been of interest, and I think being a little bit older, um, maybe a little bit more confident in that process, having been through it once before and had a pretty smooth transition. Um, also had a lot of wonderful family support, which would, you know, would probably make or break that situation for anyone. But um, I had a home birth with, with my middle daughter that went beautifully as well. And so it was just natural to have it for my third child, um, who was very, very fast. And I really think I would have ended up having a home birth had I, even if I had planned a hospital birth um, with him, it was crazy. So so I, I feel blessed in a way to be able to have those different perspectives. Um, you know, in the hospital, I work with women who have very different goals for their birth scenario. And so um, for people who are kind of hoping for the less interventive um, scenario, I feel like I come at it with a different vision maybe of how that can happen because I've seen the very kind of, you know, the other side of the pendulum, I guess. And how old were you when you had your first child? I was 17 when Delia was born. So so that's, that is, that's really young. Yeah. That's like s- scary young. Yeah. That that's, must have been... that's surprise young. <laughs> yeah, right. <laughs> I, I, I understand. Um, and but then... I feel like the, the care that Allison received through her midwife was so respectful. Yeah. And really put her in the driver's seat of her care. And I feel like that level of um, honoring uh, this young woman as a mother um, really set the tone for being a confident parent. Absolutely. Well, and when I say scary young, I mean, just th- there's probably a lot of fear associated with being 17 and having a child. Not, I'm not even thinking about the stigma associated with being 17 and having a child. You know, I, it is really strange, and this is not at all any kind of like pro-young baby thing <laughs> at all. But it's almost, and I think this has to do with the birth process too, because I see this with teenagers who deliver at the hospital. You haven't had the years of hearing these horrible birth stories and seeing birth story on TV. I mean, it's not on your radar at that age. And so you go into this process, for me personally, just kind of thinking, oh, well, that's just how it is. There wasn't, I don't think there was as much hang up of fear. Um, Of course, the day-to-day stuff, I mean, you know, like teenagers' brains are just wired differently. I don't even think you have the same worries. You just kind of think, oh, it'll work out which probably isn't good always, but I do think that um, there's something about the more time goes on, I think sometimes that the fear builds a little more if you haven't gone through that birth experience and you've had more time to maybe hear some of the other kind of 
I don't know, horror stories that people love to tell. Or fantasy realities. Well, and, yeah. and that's where I wanted to bring you in and talk about this, Emily. Um, birth, Our Birth Roots, tell us what that is. So Birth Roots was founded in 2004 by myself and Leah Darragon. And um, we originally founded Birth Roots with the intention of um, just shining a light on and making more accessible um, all of the non-clinical support options. And while that's still true, that's still a large focus of what we do, kind of showing families the whole spectrum of what's available to them. Um, we have kind of grown into um, being a, a container um, for this experience of becoming a parent. So um, we work with families from um, early in pregnancy um, all the way through the first year of parenting, just kind of holding a space for them, um, doing what we call building their parenting muscle. Um, just like the, the experience that Allison had, which completely inspired me in, into getting into this work. Um, having that experience of someone saying, well, what do you think? What do you need to know in order to make a decision? Um, and really having that be a, an authentic decision coming from um, the, the family, um, influenced by all of that support network around them from their doctor or their midwife to their family, their friends, what they read, um, so they can make decisions from a place of feeling really confident in, in what they're doing. Nature gives us nine months uh, to prepare in this way with our birth roots and to, as a family or whether you're with your parents or with your spouse or whoever it is to, to prepare for becoming parents. But there's probably nothing in human experience that is as immediate as that moment when your baby arrives. You go from one personhood to another and it's, it's I don't know what it would be for men, maybe it's war, I don't know, but, um, but for women I think it's childbirth. What is it like being there over and over again with women going through this, this moment? Allison. Um, I, I mean, it's, very, it's humbling. I feel like the moment I stop bringing that with me in my work, that probably that's the time that I should not be doing it anymore because I think you, you see so many, um, you know, there are definitely people who are burnt out or, um, you know, maybe need to step away. But I just, um, I always feel humbled by that experience. And every person's journey is so different. And just trying to meet them where they're at. Um, you know, I, the community I work in has a lot of, um, a lot of needs and, and many aspects. Um, and regardless of all of the different needs that go on, it is just always this amazing transformative experience. And you know, I just see it as my job to really try to support that as much as possible. But yeah, there's just nothing to describe it. It's, um, it is awesome. Amazing. Yeah, it's amazing. <laughs> true, true. In the truest sense, true. Amazing. We'll return to our interview after acknowledging the following generous sponsors. Akari, an urban sanctuary of beauty, wellness, and style located on Middle Street in Portland, Maine's Old Port. Follow them on Facebook and learn more about their new boutique and medispa at akaribeauty.com. And by Dr. John Herzog of Orthopedic Specialists in Falmouth, Maine, makers of Dr. John's Brainola cereal. Find them on the web at orthopedicspecialistsme.com. For expectant moms out there, there are many different non-clinical services, mm -hmm. uh, hypnosis, water birth, 
lots of different techniques. Do you guys have any opinion on, for people listening out there, what have you seen that's worked? It's so individual. I, I think knowing that all of those options are there and um, helping a woman decide for herself. Um, some people just click beautifully with hypnosis and use it effectively in, in childbirth to stay really relaxed. Um, and others need a lot more active, a lot more of an active approach. Um, so one of the things that happens in our classes is we talk about all those approaches and practice a little bit from each of them. So um, a, a woman has a real sense of, yeah, that one didn't work as well, or this one clicked more for me. Um, so it's more about knowing that there's this whole menu available and being able to um, practice ahead of time, but then also have a plan B for what if that doesn't work, then there's, there's another um, resource available um, to turn to. And we know, statistically speaking, that doulas greatly reduce the amount of intervention and C-sections that a person, you know, might encounter throughout their process. So that is one thing. And so um, for sometimes, sometimes people look at the cost and think, oh, I can't afford that. But Birthroots actually does a doula training and people need to do volunteer births to get their certification. So there's always ways that's just an added layer of someone telling you, you can do this and giving you resources of understanding how to go through it. So I think doula, uh, connecting with a doula is a really beneficial thing, regardless of if you're going to just go in for a plan C-section. I mean, they do everything. Um, but also um, turning off baby's story. And um, <laughs> I, I think um, good, you know, good childbirth ed classes that help. I, I'm a huge fan of prenatal yoga. I'm a big yoga fan myself, but there's something about working through the poses mentally kind of reminds me of how you work through like contractions mentally. So I always try to, uh, you know, put that plug in. But like Em said, I think there's everyone's so individual that you find what works for you and um, educating yourself on what's out there educating yourself on, you know, what kind of provider might be a good match for you is huge. And reducing fear. Fear is the switch that turns labor off. So the less fear there is, the more that switch can be in its most effective position. What is the biggest thing that you've learned through your own labor, delivery, childbirth, mothering? Each of you as individuals, what have you? What's what has been the most transformative thing for you? I think experiencing birth for me. I um, toward the end of my labor, my blood pressure was not where it needed to be, and um, we had to induce two weeks before my daughter's due date, um, and that was a long process uh, that <laughs> ended in a cesarean birth. And so for, for someone from my background, teaching childbirth education, being a doula, um, I had always, you know, known and said, you know, whatever works for you, you know, you have to make decisions in the moment based on the information you have, um, but really making it through that process. Um, we talk at Birthroots about the difference between a trauma and an ordeal, and um, that experience could have been traumatic. That experience could have been... Um, could have felt like I was no part of it, could have felt like uh, it was the end of the world because it wasn't the birth I wanted. Um, but it was so perfect every step of the way with the support that I had around me with uh, my midwife and the doctor that was backing her up. Um, 
really explaining things to me as we went so I could make really clear decisions every step of the way that yes, that was the right decision at that time. Um, so I emerged with my parenting muscle intact, um, feeling like I was uh, more prepared. Um, and it was very clear to me on a, on a very internal level at that point that it really matters more that um, a woman feels like she was a full participant in that process. How can people find out more about Birthroots? We have a website, ourbirthroots.org, um, but our <coughs> Facebook page is, is a very um, dynamic uh, page. We have lots of friends, and uh, Leah, my partner at Birthroots, really posts amazing things. She scours the internet for amazing um, stories and resources and articles um, that support um, growth of the parenting muscle. Um, we, we also firmly believe in, in pluralism in the perinatal world, which means that um, we can actually coexist as mothers with differing opinions and still like each other and respect <sighs> each other. Um, so she holds that bar really high on our Facebook page for discussions to happen. Um, so Facebook and our website are, pro and of course, um, our resource guide that we publish each year uh, with as many local perinatal resources as we can find. There's an online copy on our website and another one coming out in May, end of May. And there's resources on there that, I mean, even if you're not pregnant or newly a mom, that would be Absolutely. beneficial. Definitely. We've been speaking with Allison Gray, mother of three and labor and delivery nurse at St. Mary's Hospital in Lewiston sister to Emily Murray, co-founder of Birthroots and mother of one. Uh, we appreciate your coming in and taking the time to speak with us. I, I must say, as your past babysitter for many <laughs> moons ago, I'm thrilled to see how much good you're doing in the world. And um, I know that all the young mothers out there that you're impacting feel the same way. Thank you. Thanks. This segment of the Dr. Lisa Radio Hour and Podcast is brought to you by the following generous sponsors. Mike LePage and Beth Franklin of Remax Heritage in Yarmouth, Maine. Honesty and integrity can take you home. With Remax Heritage, it's your move. Learn more at rheritage.com. And by Tom Shepard of Shepard Financial. With offices in Yarmouth, Maine, the Shepard Financial team is there to help you evolve with your money. For more information on Shepherd Financial's refreshing perspective on investing, please email tom at shepherdfinancialmain.com. In the studio with us today, we have Sarah Plimpton, and I knew I know her both personally and professionally. What we thought might be interesting is to have her come in and talk about her experiences as a new mother. Um, Genevieve Morgan and I, of course, we're sort of old, old-timey old moms. You know, I got an 18-year-old. I got a 16-year-old. I got an 11-year-old. Genevieve's got... Yeah, it seems like a long time ago that they were infants. Yes. But you have a you have a little one. You Seven have a, and a half months. Yes. Teething. And teething. What's just, she doing these days? Uh, she just started sleeping through the night. Hallelujah. Yes. <laughs> Indeed. Um, she's almost crawling, working really hard on that. Um, she started babbling a couple, maybe a month or so ago. She started saying, ba, 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 and ma, 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 ma. So that's pretty exciting. Yeah. And these are um, all things, all these things that you're bringing up are things that when you're going through them, these milestones, they seem enormous. Mm -hmm. you know? They get written on the 
baby calendar and the baby book. You know, they, you know, you talk about them, you post. I mean, I remember all of this so vividly, even though it was mm-hmm. a long time ago. What other milestones have you seen in your own life as a mother? Because a lot of things have changed for you in the last, well, seven plus nine months. Right. Um, I don't know about milestones, but I think a lot of things have changed, certainly. Um, I have a lot less time for myself, which is something, Lisa, that you and I have always talked a lot about, is carving out time in your life for yourself and and um, really fighting to keep that time. And that's been a really big struggle for me. Um, I'm not exercising as much as I used to. I'm, you know, I just don't have, I don't have the time and I really don't even have the energy. Um, so that's been a really big change um, over the past several months. But I'm, you know, again, we've also talked a lot about sort of going easy on yourself and not, you know, beating yourself up to a pulp when you can't achieve really, really high expectations that you've set your, set for yourself. So I've also sort of tried to think about the fact that this is a stage, you know, I will, you know, not be breastfeeding forever and that will free me up considerably and, um, you know, she will get older and be less dependent and all that kind of stuff. Um, but it's hard. I mean, there are definitely days where I'm like, I just want to go for a run and I can't, or I just want an hour to do this project or just be by myself. And, you know, you can't necessarily do that when you have a baby. I remember when my firstborn was about your baby's age, uh, someone said to me that the days are long, but the years are short. Mm -hmm. And I remember now that I'm in the position where I am now with a 15-year-old and a 12-year-old, I really feel that because I remember those days with a newborn and they were endless. Endless. It's a good thing nature makes them so magical. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, it is hard. I mean, the the days can be very long, but I've I've recently sort of realized she's closer to being a year than zero, and that is just blowing my mind. And so I feel like even in the moment, I'm I'm able to see that the years really are going to just start going very quickly. You talked about managing expectations. Now, I happen to have had um, sort of a front row seat to your expectations of your labor and delivery. Are you willing to tell us a little bit about how what you expected differed from what happened? Sure. I'm always happy to talk about my birth story. Um, So I went into it very much wanting to have a natural, unmedicated delivery. Um, I knew that that was going to entail a fair bit of education on my part and and planning as well on my part. So my husband and I took... um, a class in the Bradley Method last summer. I was due last September, so June, July, and August. We spent every Saturday morning learning <laughs> about natural childbirth, which was, in retrospect, kind of insane that we gave up every Saturday morning for an entire summer. But that's how dedicated and committed we were to the process of, of an unmedicated birth. Um, so September came. We'd done this class. We did all kinds of preparatory exercises and all kinds of stuff to get ready for this. And I had this nice little birth plan and Lisa was going to come and be with me in the hospital and sort of help me, you know, get through it and all that kind of stuff. And so my due date comes and I didn't go into labor, which is fine. A week goes by and I'm still not in labor. Um, So I think it was six days, no, yeah, it was six days after my due date. So not a full week had gone by. My water broke on a Friday night, and 
And I thought, great, this is it. It's going to happen. I just have to, you know, wait for it to happen. And so I went to bed and I woke up the next morning and I wasn't in labor. So I went into the hospital and um, the doctors were very accommodating um, and, and great about honoring my desired outcome of, of not wanting to be induced, really wanting to give my body the time to go into labor on its own. Um, so a very long story short, they sent me home Saturday and said, you know, go walk around, go eat spicy food. Um, if you don't go into labor on your own by tomorrow morning, Sunday morning, come back and we'll check you and we'll reassess what's going to happen and, and what's going on. So I did all those things. Sunday morning came. I was still not in labor. Um, it was a very stressful day, as you can imagine. Um, there were a lot of decisions about do I get induced now? Do I continue to wait? What are the risks? What are the benefits? Well, because we should say that once the water breaks, the baby is at a higher risk. Exactly. Um, and I was really sort of operating under the assumption that um, I think it's more than 90% of women, when their water breaks and they're not in labor, they do go into labor on their own fairly soon thereafter. So on Sunday, it was a very it was a very, very tense, stressful day. They ultimately let me leave again. In retrospect, I'm not sure that I would have left again if I could go back and do it over again, but I did um, with the same understanding that if by Monday morning I was not in labor, I was going to come back in and have them check me again. So Monday morning came, and I was not in labor. So I'd now gone more than two days with my membranes ruptured, not in labor. Um, so they did an ultrasound. They said, you know, she's oh, the baby. Well, I didn't know the sex at the time, but they said the baby's fine. Um, but she's moving a little bit less than we'd like to see. There's not a lot of fluid in there. We've given this a lot of time. We think you need to induce. And so I said, okay. As, you know, as soon as the doctor said, here's our professional opinion, they'd been so accommodating up to that point, I thought, okay, I, I'm going to go with this. So they induced me on Monday. Um, and the long and short of it is that I, even after an induction, I still didn't go into labor, really, um, which was kind of amazing and, and crazy. Does that happen often, Lisa? Oh, it certainly can. Yes. <laughs> these, are the, this, these are the best laid plans that, yeah. yes, you can definitely end up having not the outcome you wanted. Not experience. the outcome you wanted. Wow. So then the induction occurred at about 2 o'clock on Monday afternoon. It was a 12-hour induction course at about 1, well, probably a little bit later than that, maybe 2 or 3 in the morning. Tuesday morning, I started to get a really bad headache. I got really, really cold, chills, and I got a fever. And I knew immediately when I started to feel like that, that it was over, that I was going to end up having a C-section. I just knew it. So the doctor came in. They did all the temperature and, you know, all that kind of stuff. And they, conf you know, conferred and said, yes, you know, you're nowhere near delivering this baby you developing a fever is a sign of potential infection in the in your body. It could impact the baby. Game over. So I had a C-section. Went from wanting zero intervention <laughs> to having a nice little scar on my belly. Um, but in the moment, I really felt like I had done everything I could to um, protect, you know, what I wanted. Um, I think I was flexible along the way. Um, I think it was a really good lesson for me in in terms of becoming a parent that you can plan for all this stuff and it just doesn't matter it, it's going to be what it's going to be and, um, and she came out healthy and pink and she did she came out screaming with um, I think almost perfect APGAR scores which was a huge relief 
Um, we did have to stay in the hospital for a week um, because she, there were signs of infection in her system, so she needed to be on a course of antibiotics for a week, which I don't think, in retrospect, I fully understood what that would mean. Um, and I feel, I do, I do look back on it and think, I should have been induced sooner. I, I was holding on to an ideal for a little bit too long, and I should have just said, okay, induce me on Saturday night or Sunday morning or something. Because um, that is a long time to have your membranes ruptured and be out and about. Mm-hmm. I mean, and it's actually it's to the credit of the people that you are working with, your doctor and the nursing team, that they allowed you to do that and allowed you to really try to move forward with the plan that you had put in place. Um, but it's still a long time. Mm-hmm. It's, and so, you know, it, I think it does speak to sort of the vagaries of birth, that, mm-hmm. that things just, they happen, and you end up needing to make decisions that you can always Monday morning quarterback them, but yep. they, they are what they are. Um, but I was really impressed when I, because I was sort of, you and I were communicating back and forth this entire time because I was going to be willing to come in and be part of the birth. And when you went to C-section, I mean, you really, you kept a very balanced view of all of this all the way along. And I knew that you had gone through um an enormous amount of time and effort and thought, and you and I talked about a lot of different things regarding the baby and the birth and what was going to happen. And so I knew that this could be extremely disappointing to you, and it could have just been devastating. But instead, you know, you just you did what you needed to do, and the baby was beautiful. Mm-hmm. I mean, the outcome was exactly what you wanted, no matter what. Mm-hmm. And it yeah. is a life lesson. It's totally a life lesson. Yeah. Because I, I think all of motherhood is like that. You have the best intentions and the mm-hmm. best laid plans, and then you know what? Your kid just wants to go and do something else. <laughs> yep, yep. And I think the other piece of becoming a parent that that experience sort of foreshadowed was just that there's no plan for how to do this. There's no instruction book. There's no. I mean, you can go get all the advice in the world from the quote unquote experts, but they all contradict each other. It all changes every five years. You've it's really just your gut and your intuition and your instincts, which is, I think there are very few other jobs out there where there isn't more sort of training or professional development available to you. It's kind of fly by the seat of your pants and, you know, ask the people around you who've been through it for their advice and just make the best decision that you can make. And that's hard. It is hard. What And but it's also rewarding. So what have some of the high points of your last, I guess, 16 months been? Pregnant, labor delivery, birth, seven-plus-month-old now? Um, well, she, I mean, she's my proudest achievement. Or I don't know that I would call her an achievement, but she's she's the love of my life, and I'm going to start crying. Um, but I think proud moments have been um, when we have sort of figured things out ourselves and not, you know, maybe we've gotten solicited advice from a number of different people and sort of been like, eee, that doesn't really feel like the right thing for us to do. And we've maybe tried it and confirmed that it wasn't the right thing and then done something else and realized that wasn't the right thing either and then tried something else and finally hit on, okay, this is the right approach for this baby right now. And that has been pretty rewarding at those moments when we've figured it out um, on our own. Well, we've been talking about, we brought in the show with this idea of mothering energy. 
you sort of personify mothering energy sitting across <laughs> the way from us. Congratulations on your thank you new-ish baby. Who, of course, now I need to see her. Okay, you've sent mm-hmm. me pictures, Sarah, but that's yep. you know I'm getting. I, know. I need to see this child. I gotta. I, I have this like baby thing. I have to hold her too. So she will let you hold her. Yeah. She. She. Last time I saw her, she was beautiful. So congratulations on that, and we wish you all the best on your journey moving forward with her. It's. It's. As Genevieve can attest, um, it is an amazing journey. Not always easy, but amazing. So mm-hmm. happy Mother's Day to you, and thanks for coming in. Thank you, and happy Mother's Day to both of you as well. This is Dr. Lisa Belial. You've been listening to the Dr. Lisa Radio Hour and Podcast, show number 35, Motherhood, airing on Mother's Day, May 13th, 2012, on WLOBradio.com. This week's guests have included Dr. Ann Skelton, the Chief of Family Medicine at the Maine Medical Center, Allison Gray and Emily Murray, a labor and delivery nurse from Lewiston and founder of Birth Roots, both sisters and mother, mothers, and Sarah Plimpton, a new mother. We hope that you have enjoyed listening to the various perspectives offered by our guests. We know that you will have gained some helpful insights which may impact your own life as a mother. And my co-host Genevieve Morgan and I wish all the mothers out there and mothering sorts, biologic or otherwise, the happiest of Mother's Days. Thank you for being part of our world. May you have a bountiful life. The Dr. Lisa Radio Hour and Podcast is made possible with the support of the following generous sponsors. Maine Magazine, Mike LePage and Beth Franklin at Remax Heritage, Robin Hodgkin at Morgan Stanley Smith Barney, Dr. John Herzog of Orthopedic Specialists in Falmouth, Maine, Tom Shepard of Shepard Financial, Booth, UNE, the University of New England, and Akari. The Dr. Lisa Radio Hour and Podcast is recorded in downtown Portland at the offices of Maine Magazine on 75 Market Street. It is produced by Kevin Thomas and Dr. Lisa Belial. Editorial content produced by Genevieve Morgan. Audio production and original music by John C. McCain. Our assistant producer is Jane Pate. For more information on our hosts, production team, main magazine, or any of the guests featured here today, visit us at doctorlisa.org and tune in every Sunday at 11 a.m. for the Dr. Lisa Radio Hour on WLOB Portland, Maine, 1310 a.m. or streaming wlobradio.com. Show summaries are available at doctorlisa.org. Download and become a podcast subscriber of Dr. Lisa Belial through iTunes. See the Dr. Lisa website or Facebook page for details.